0: Welcome to the excellent Film Illiterates Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. As always, I'm Joe Campbell, and joining me today is Nathan Stone. Alex has unfortunately died and gone to hell, so immediately after this podcast, we're going to take our time-traveling phone booth to rescue him.
1: Uh, Joe, yeah, you know I think we can do better for this podcast. Mind if I give it a stab at it?
0: Uh, uh, Be my guest. Okay, excuse me.
1: Greetings, any dudes and dudettes still out there listening to us. We are the Film Illiterates, Joe and Nate. So ever since Bill and Ted first sparked our lives and our screens back in 1989, they have traveled across space and time, faced off death and allowed him to join their band, won the hearts and married two princesses, defeated their evil selves in a battle of the bands and not even before finishing high school. Now, nearly 30 years later, Bill and Ted are back at it again to finish a song that will unite the world. Will this movie surpass all of our expectations, or is this where Bill and Ted will have to face the music? That was quite excellent. I guess we're going to have to put in like a a guitar sound effect every time we say
0: excellent. I'd say for this episode, just every other sentence you put in a guitar riff just throughout the entire podcast.
1: For no cue whatsoever. It's just like, we'll say something and then guitar riff. Exactly.
0: That will not grow old at all, will it? Oh, I
1: don't think it will.
0: But before we get into Bill and Ted facing the music, before we face the music, let's talk about what we've watched on our own recently. Nathan! Oh, well,
1: thank you, Joe. Uh, Let's see. So because we were going to watch Bill and Ted Face the Music, I thought, hey, I'm going to check out a Keanu Reeves movie I've never seen before. I ended up seeing A Scanner Darkly, the 2006 sci-fi animation rotoscope thriller Written and directed by Richard Linklater, in a near future where America is virtually losing the war on drugs, Robert Arctor, a narcotics cop in Orange County, becomes an addict when he goes undercover. So, Joe, have you seen this movie?
0: I saw it in college, and honestly, I remember nothing about it except for the look, and I remember that I liked the movie.
1: Yeah, this is adapted from a Philip K. Dick novel. Um, so, you know, a guy who gave us Blade Runner, who gave us Minority Report. So this guy's, you know, gets into the weird world of sci-fi that kind of looks at it on a dystopian level where technology starts interfering with people's like privacy and their freedom and their lives. This is a interesting movie. Um, the way it's done is it's kind of shot in live action, but then they do kind of like a rotoscopy layer over it. So what you're kind of seeing is it's, it's still shot in actual environments, but it has like this weird warpy animation to it, which lends itself very well to, you know, this fact that all these guys are kind of like using drugs and encounter Reeves's you know, split brain kind of like condition that's happening. So, this movie was kind of trippy for me to watch. I think at some point I was kind of getting into the kind of uncanny valley effect with the rotoscoping where you see furniture just like moving by itself when it's like a panning camera shot and it doesn't feel like it's aligned. But then there'd be stuff like, you know, bugs crawling in a person's head or Woody Harrelson turning into a cockroach. Um, I think this movie works because of how trippy and how bizarre it is. It's, and for some reason, I guess this you can look at Linklater's style of directing kind of like just ooze through this movie. And I don't know, I think the actors just do a good job with just their characters, friends who are like blasting off like guns from homemade silencers out of tinfoil that don't even work, getting duped off of like bikes. but even like more so, just this technology that they use, I think lends itself pretty well for the story. Uh, yeah, so if anyone's interested, I'd say check out A Scanner Darkly for something that's kind of twisty, kind of trippy, kind of set in almost like a near-future kind of sci-fi world, but it kind of has a little bit of grounding. Uh, let's see. Aside from that, uh, movie theaters had opened, so... I ended up going to see Tenet, the new Christopher Nolan movie starring John David Washington.
0: You lucky bastard.
1: Oh, yes. Joe's kind of very much jealous because his theaters are not open yet.
0: My drive-in's open. They're just not letting the drive-in show it. So, Warner Brothers, let Tenet be shown at my drive-in. Hey, hey you
1: know what? Warner Brothers and Chris Nolan have been putting up a pretty strong battle for the past, like, what was it? two months trying to get this movie in theaters and i don't know i give him kudos because it's like this movie does definitely need to be seen on the big screen but i will say this i was so confused watching this movie as well as probably everybody else in the theater um i made the mistake of at the second act having to get up and take you know whiz and somewhere in that two minutes i missed a crucial piece of information and i was confused for the rest of the movie so now that means I just have to go and spend another 20 bucks and see it again.
0: That actually reminds me of, uh, uh, so spoilers for uh, Kingsman, the first one. So you remember the scene where uh, Colin Firth gets shot <laughs> and dies? In the oh, movie?
1: yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, apparently, I think it was Nick. It might have been our friend Brian. What One of those two, I believe. Uh, told me that they, when they first seen the movie, they'd gotten up uh, to go use the bathroom right when that moment happened, when they walked back in, the whole theater was just looking at them like, oh no, you walked out at the wrong moment. Yep, yeah,
1: pretty much. <laughs> I kind of felt the same way when I walked back. I was like, oh boy, I'm feeling that. Yep, I missed
0: something. How was the sound intended? I I've heard very conflicting things about it being difficult to hear or understand.
1: Uh, this is, like I said, this is kind of probably the most complex of Nolan's work. Um, this is more complex, I think, than Inception. And the problem is this movie just speeds by so fast. Of all the stuff that they're trying to set up in this world, there's no break period at all. So perhaps the sound, I kind of think, was a huge factor because, you know, I think they're trying to do the same thing that they were doing with Dunkirk with the soundtrack. They try and build up tension. Okay. But with this, it's such a dialogue heavy story to try and set up what's going on, how this is working, what he needs to kind of complete in order to defeat the mission or else, you know, X, Y, and Z. And you can't even understand that because they just like are hush talking it and it's just going by so fast. I don't know what it was. I think it was the editing that just made it just like kind of unbearable at times. So maybe I'll have to see it again, but it gives me faith that. If Chris Nolan was to do a Halo movie, he could pull it off. That's all I'll say about that.
0: <laughs> well, I can't wait till I get the opportunity to watch it, which may not be till it, I don't know, hits HBO Max or video on demand or something.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, just to finally top it all off, I uh, was over with some friends, and we ended up seeing the new Milan movie, which uh, just streamed this weekend.
0: I'm watching that tomorrow night.
1: Cool. So let me give a quick synopsis. To save her ailing father from serving in the Imperial Army, a fearless young woman disguises herself as a man to battle the northern invaders in China. So this is one of the many few Disney remakes. It is directed by Nicky Caro and basically stars uh, Lu Yefi, Donnie Yen, Jet Li is in this as well as the Emperor. I didn't even realize that until I looked up in IMDb and was like, oh, that's him.
0: I, be- I believe he was offered to direct it initially too and turn it down because he was busy, I think.
1: Uh, but okay. Joe, not to kind of squash your hopes and dreams. No. This movie does not compete with the animated one.
0: Well, I, th- I mean, I, I'm not even necessarily thinking that, but I, I, I do hope this movie is good because I've, I've been looking forward to this movie for ever since it was announced.
1: I think it's, it's hard for me, just because I'd like to not to spoil it for you, but there's something that they set up with Mulan's character, which kind of completely changes the whole stakes of the first animated movie, or even just the story of Mulan, which I felt is a big reason why a lot of you know girls growing up watched it, why a lot of girls like, looked to Mulan as like a great role model. They do something with this version that completely just retcons that. Everything else about the movie, the cinematography, the um, design, the production, the costumes was really good. I just think it was this this one thing that they changed about Mulan's character, and it completely just deflates it. So that's all I'll say.
0: All right. We'll I'll have to see. I, I the, the reason I'm I'm really looking forward to this one is because I actually really like that they're dropping the songs, they're dropping Mushu and that kind of stuff. I, I, I like all that in the animated version, but them kind of putting more of the focus on the uh, seemingly putting the focus more on the war movie aspect, the kung fu aspect, kind of the mythological aspect. That's what really intrigues me because I want to see one of these live action Disney, rem- Disney remakes do something different. And this looks like this does something different, but it's also in kind of a style that I'm like, you know, I'm currently on kind of an 80s, 90s Hong Kong kind of kick right now. So this, is, this seems to be right up my alley. So that's, that's, fingers crossed. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah,
1: like I said, I won't try to build it up, but like there's some good stuff about it, but there's also some stuff I think the original animated version was good. And not to say I didn't mind that there were none of the songs in there from the original one or that they didn't have Mushu in there, even though all my friends were
0: like complaining about that. I was like,
1: I, I don't care. I just. Every I like time I the, see
0: someone online complaining, no, Mushu, no, be a man. I just want to like slap them over the internet.
1: Could, could if I gave you the power to do that, Joe? Would you do that for me for anyone? Absolutely. Like, Thank you. Um, and that's it. That's all I've watched.
0: All righty. <clears throat> so, first off, uh, over the course of the last few weeks, our buddy Nick and I have been doing kind of a virtual movie night every once in a while. Uh, and we've been working through the Robocop trilogy, which I, I've seen plenty of times before, but I I haven't watched them all back-to-back in quite a while. So, I mean, Robocop 1, I've seen many times. Fantastic, perfect satire. Robocop 2, I am... I, I, I'm i quite a fan of that one. It's kind of a darker... well, not, not, not a darker take, but kind of a more bitter take on the, the series. It loses a little bit of the satire, but it's more of kind of a pulp film with this, you know, you know, this, this little kid spouting F-bombs and take, take, you know, taking over this drug empire. And you got, what is it? Tom Noonan, I think who plays this kind of spiritual drugged out cult leader.
1: <laughs> uh, when he shows up like that, I'm like, I kind of thought the movie just kind of like went on a different level for me. It was just so wonderful.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's not on par with the first movie, but it's still a really fun pulpy ride. And the uh, the stop motion in the the climax of that movie is why I think that we need we have underestimated what stop motion can do as far as a legitimate effect in today. And I think I think we need to bring back stop motion. As, as an effect in live action movies. I, th- I, think, I think if you really tailored it and evolved it, it could do some really interesting things.
1: I love how it's like because of Robocop 2 that you say we need to bring like stop motion animation back. Dude, that fight at life. the end
0: is great. The character of Robocop 2 in the movie Robocop 2, he looks great.
1: I know, but I, I can think of so many other references like or other movies that kind of do this <laughs> thing. But I just love it that it's like it's Robocop 2 that make me believe in this again.
0: All the way all the way bring back stop motion and if you don't believe me watch robocop 2 but then uh okay so hot take robocop 3 is pretty good uh i i think it's certainly better than its reputation suggests on uh letterboxd it has an average rating of i think 1.8 you know abysmal one star half star ratings guys this movie isn't not only is this movie not that bad it's pretty good it's pretty good (laughs) no 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 no. oh no yeah it's got a lot of problems it's not as good as the first two robocops one of the big criticisms i i see of robocop 3 is that oh no they were forced to neuter it down to a pg-13 and oh they made this kid the main character and i think people kind of presume that a lot of that was studio mandated stuff and they're trying to cram an r-rated movie into a pg-13 so I, I got the Blu-ray recently, and I've been watching, you know, reading interviews, uh, watching interviews with Fred Decker. I've been listening to the commentary. Fred Decker, for those who don't know, is the co-writer and director of Monster Squad. He wrote Monster Squad with with Shane Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I can see why you're defending this movie so much, because he's, this is like one of your, like, kind of idolized screenwriters and, like, storytellers. Yeah, so. he's
0: he, I mean, all of his projects I have some sort of problems with, but I think the heart of his stuff is admirable. So, I mean, you know, Monster Squad. Really fun movie. I have a lot of problems with it, it, but it's kind of this gleeful, childlike fun movie. Uh, Night of the Creeps is, again, just kind of like this guy's take on this pulpy B movie that's set in partially the 50s and the 80s, and there's monsters from outer space and head explosions, all this great stuff. Uh, Even, I know, the the, the new Predator uh, movie, which is universally hated. I like the heart of that movie being this kind of fun-loving... B movie where it's just you know these it's Shane Black and Fred Decker just smashing predator action figures together and there's something kind of innocent and fun about that and so RoboCop 3 is Fred Decker's version of doing that with RoboCop you know oh here let's put let's put a jetpack on RoboCop oh here let's make Ed 209 say eat lead suckers here RoboCop comes in and he pops out of the top of a car with a machine gun strapped to his arm uh it's it's, it's all these fun touches He came into the movie looking forward to working with Frank Miller, who wrote the second movie. Frank Miller wrote a screenplay of the the third movie. And again, I think people have this perception that Frank Miller had written an R-rated movie and Fred Decker came in and neutered it. That's not the case. The studio was going to aim for PG-13 from the beginning. So anybody creatively involved knew they were working on a PG-13 movie and Fred Decker had complete creative control. So like you know, he says in the commentary, for, for better or worse, if you hate this movie, it's all on me. It's not on the studio at all.
1: <laughs> wow. He's taking the bullet just like that. Honestly, I think the biggest reason why I think myself I didn't like Robocop 3 as much is because Peter Wheeler wasn't in it.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. He, he mentions that. Do you know why Peter Weller wasn't in this movie?
1: Um, I think it's because he just had a problem with the studio or he didn't get the budget or just the salary he asked for i don't know
0: peter willard turned down the role but he came in to personally talk with fred decker about the screenplay and about the movie and peter willard according to fred decker didn't have a problem with any of that he just couldn't do it because he was shooting naked lunch at the time and he just couldn't work it in the schedule even though he liked everything about it he just wasn't available basically
1: honestly i kind of think in my opinion he lucked out
0: oh yeah i i need to see i need need to see naked lunch and i'm sure it's a fantastic movie but everyone kind of has this idea that he turned down robocop 3 because it was a bad movie no he turned it down because he he had scheduling conflicts like the quality of the movie had nothing to do with pierre weller not being in the movie or it had nothing to do with frank miller not being involved with the rest of the movie as far as i know everybody involved was on board with this vision. It's just the vision didn't turn out to be the sort of thing that most people wanted. But for for, for my money, I mean it, it it is a lesser movie than the first two, but it is it is it is a fun movie. It's it's got this, you know, the the kid being the main character apparently it was Frank Miller's idea initially and that carried through and it fits kind of Fred Decker's sensibilities of we're seeing RoboCop next to this this little kid and we got this whole family dynamic coming apart and coming back together again yeah yeah re- re-watch robocop 3 sometime and just just look at it as just kind of a kid in a candy store having fun with this this franchise you know i know
1: yeah and honestly this was like made with like just half of the budget that the first one had so you know give them kudos for just doing what they can on a 22 million.
0: Oh yeah i forgot shane black is in this movie too Oh, what, who, do you, who was in that? Who er, was he? In early that? on, he has a cameo as a cop in a in a car chase, and he he has he has a good chunk of dialogue in there, a few a few lines here Man, and there. Okay,
1: I'm gonna have to revisit this again just to get a second opinion of it.
0: Yeah, um, it's not. I mean, again, it's not, it's it's not a great movie. It's got a lot of problems. It kind of it it's, it's it kind of lags a little bit. It's um not as tight as it could be. I think I think it it could go sillier. I think they should have done more over the top things, but uh, it's 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 not bad, guys. It's not bad.
1: I like how I'm looking at some audiences' reviews of it on just Google right now, and they're just like saying, you know, it's a a 90s movie. For a 90s time capsule movie, it's actually something worth giving a shot at. So, yeah, oh,
0: that's good. Maybe there'll be a reevaluation of Robocop 3 sometime in the future. I like how
1: people are now kind of like saying, like, because it's a 90s movie, they set that as a standard for when watching <laughs> this. It's like, yes, there's a lot of movies that came out in the 90s, but because this was a 90s movie, hold it to that standard. It's the same way, like, you would say, like, it's a 70s movie or an 80s movie or early 2000s movie. Everyone has like their dating standard now.
0: Uh, and then finally, I've I started watching The Boys. Season two started this week. The, they dropped Amazon dropped the first three episodes. Uh, Nate, did you watch season one of The Boys?
1: Um, I started getting into it. Uh, I think I still have like maybe half a half the season to go through, but I'm I'm liking it so far.
0: I like a lot of shows out there. You know, I, I watch Westworld. I watch Barry. I'm currently watching Lovecraft Country, as I talked about in the last episode. Or Raised by Wolves. The Boys is probably one of the few shows that I get really excited for though. I mean when season 2 came out I thought, "Oh man, I really need to watch the next 3 episodes. I'm really hooked on this show." I think it is because it it does you know, you know I use this word too much, but it does take this kind of pulpy view of of, of everything, you know, the gratuitous, over the top violence, kind of the the shock value stuff. But it's not there just to shock i mean that's partially why it's there but also i think this show has some really interesting things to say as far as looking at capitalism today in our current society and how everything is staged and especially in the hashtag me too movement how you know why why some people wouldn't come out with these allegations before and how they are manipulated and just you know the, the the whole thing with uh there's one superhero character who is outed as a sexual predator in the first season and people complain that they either make him too relatable as in they dig into really his psyche and show like why he does the things he does and kind of pick him apart and make him a real human character or there are other people who don't like how nasty he is because they're like oh he's such a cute lovable guy why do they have to make him a sexual predator
1: you know I, I kind of i guess that was the one thing i was kind of noticing about when i was watching the shows is that i like that stuff i like when it's a complex character that you can't necessarily root for because it kind of just shows you know what down to the core we are all human we all have different motives and it's sadly our choices that we make are the kind of the consequences we have to reap but i don't like how audiences like i'm noticing this with audiences out there they don't like it when it's that muddy or that kind of gray it's like they need it to be polarizing it's like no not necessarily because that's not how real life is
0: yeah exactly and it's and it's like this this particular character is a horrible manipulative character but, but diving into his psyche kind of gets you to see like oh this is how these people think this is how they operate they don't see themselves as the bad guys and this is why we need to really fight against them and here is how we can do that um, I mean, it is a very bitter, nihilistic, really dark, kind of fucked up show. Honestly,
1: it's kind of like, you know, if uh, you know, if the Marvel decided to do their own Watchmen, this is kind of on that scale. It just dives a little deeper and more of a kind of contemporary era as opposed to what Watchmen was, which is like kind of Cold War, complete nuclear annihilation.
0: Yeah, the uh, uh, Homelander, the, the Superman character of the show. I haven't seen this actor in anything else, or at least not, not that I know of. But this character is one of the most frightening characters I think I've seen in a long time because it, the fact that he's so powerful yet so like on the edge of reason, you know, this guy could snap at anything, at anyone, at any time, and nobody could stop him makes him so frightening. So, so he, you know, there would be scenes where a character is arguing with him, just standing next to him like a normal human character, and you're like you don't know if this character is going to survive this conversation because this guy is just so off his rocker.
1: Exactly. It just built up the tension that much. And that's one thing I was noticing about this. Like, wow, this guy's kind of, he could finish a conversation like that if he wanted to. Exactly.
0: So I I, I quite enjoy the boys. Of, of course, I, I can't finish off this little blurb without uh, bringing up Carl Urban, who steals every single scene he's in. <laughs>
1: freaking carl urban man i love
0: that since dread there's been kind of this reappreciation of carl urban as an actor because he is fantastic and he is on level 11 in this show i think all
1: the actors kind of know to bring their a-game in this but carl urban does bring an extra tier to that and it's it's, i do appreciate
0: it so very uncomfortable show very messed up show but uh if 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 you can stomach it i i I quite enjoy the boys and i am very interested to see where they're going with this season
1: Right. It's something worth zapping about.
0: So that will be it for me. With that, we will move into Bill and Ted Face the Music. All righty, so Bill and Ted face the music. Uh, Nate, what did you think? Initial thoughts.
1: Uh, let's see, my thoughts. Um, well, I can't necessarily say that it was like the best third movie of a, a franchise, but uh, it was just fun to see some of the same nostalgia repeat itself again. And, and this was something I had when I f- saw the first trailer, is that my biggest worry is that are we going to see the same jokes repeated in this movie or is something new going to be presented? And sadly the latter didn't really happen for me. I kind of felt like it was a a rehash of the same jokes and I didn't see anything new or different being offered, but Maybe that was my expectation kind of going in. Maybe I just held it too high after seeing Bogus Journey and Excellent Adventure. And I just wanted to see something new.
0: When when was the last time that you watched uh, Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey?
1: Uh, It was a couple of uh, months ago because I had a feeling with this movie coming out, I was going to revisit them. Um, I like Excellent Adventure. I think it's a fantastic just 80s piece. Um just a lot of just the scope with Bill and Ted being introduced as like these two slackers just rocking out and just trying to pass high school. And somehow they come across this time machine booth and go back in time and bring Joan of Arc and Billy the Kid and So Crates into uh their present day and age, and seeing how they're interacting with the modern world was great. I love that stuff. And then Bogus Journey, it's like it kind of gets a bit more into like this, you know, afterlife, you know, our meaning and our existence. And I don't know, them facing off with their evil selves was kind of funny. I like how they just like, oh, hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. How's it going, Ted? How's it going, Ted? And I just like that kind of stuff. Like just seeing how Two guys like this would act, and I don't know. This movie was kind of it spent a lot of time just rehashing those same jokes. So,
0: so I re- rewatched Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey probably within the past couple weeks before before this movie came out. Going into it, my biggest concern was that they weren't going to take it in a new direction, and the reason that concerned me was because each movie has its own very unique identity conceptually. Excellent Adventure is a time travel movie. Bogus Journey is a supernatural adventure movie. And I was thinking, oh, I'd like to see what kind of concept they'll come up for the third movie. And the trailers showed a lot more, oh, they go to hell again. Oh, they're doing more time travel, collecting historical figures. So that was one of of my two biggest worries about going into this movie. My second biggest worry was about Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves stepping into this role again after what 23 years yeah a long time especially yeah especially after alex Winter. i mean he's no longer an actor he, he he hasn't acted in a very long time i think i think he works behind the scenes on some other movies I'm, I'm not quite sure what he does these days and keanu reeves is so far removed from that character type you know you know he's he's john wick now <laughs> he doesn't play he hasn't played the kind of whoa character in a really long time and so that those are my two biggest concerns going into this movie uh nate i've seen this movie twice now and i love it
1: (laughs) (laughs) so you managed to see it
0: too i went to the drive-in twice to see this movie first time i went to go see it by myself and then we got my sister to babysit and kate i took katie to the the drive-in so she could go see it too
1: so i need to ask you then like what is it about this third movie that just sparks with you like do you think it does do that um go in a different direction or is there something like it's more of just like a nostalgia piece?
0: So no, and, and yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so th- this movie doesn't do anything new. Well, almost doesn't do anything new conceptually. It's, it's more of a blend of the first two concepts. You have the time travel, the gathering, the, the, the historical figures, and you've got the supernatural stuff. So they kind of just revisit elements from the first two movies. Mm-hmm. There is hints of a third element that I really liked. And if I was writing this movie, I would have gone all in on that as the hook, which is Bill and Ted meeting up with alternate versions of themselves. Just Rick and Morty it, you know, because mm-hmm. to me, those are some of the best parts of this movie. And I guess I should say, no spoiler warning for the movie. I'm sure Nate and I will be talking about all sorts of different <laughs> points of the movie. We're going to be going into spoilers at, at right. some point. So Fair warning, spoilers for Bill and Ted Face the Music uh, going out here forward. Uh, so, I mean, for instance, Bill and Ted's, specifically, their story going into different points in the future and meeting up with different versions of themselves, those were the highlights of the movie for me. I loved every moment of that with, you know, future versions of them are being dicks to themselves, and it just kind of, you know, of course, they're, they're, they're trying to get away from the responsibility of having to write the song that will bring together the universe and save the universe. So those are the highlights for me. The rest of the stuff, though, I found I liked, even if it wasn't unique. So, for instance, the subplot with the daughters going back in time and trying to gather up historical musicians to make a band. Yeah, it's a rehash of the first movie. But... I like the actresses, uh, Samara Weaving is always great to see these days. Yeah. I was going to say
1: like, you know, th- this is like, you know, this is her coming off of like ready or not. And I'm like, okay. So she's definitely getting a footing in like, you know, this kind of, it's kind of bit almost like these nostalgic pieces. Like I guess ready or not is kind of a bit of a nostalgia, like, you know, slash him up kind of, you know, movie. And this is like, you know, it's an eighties like homage. So, um, also Bridget, uh, Lundy Payne who plays, uh, you know, Bill's you know daughter is kind of fun to watch as well. Her doing mm-hmm. the whole deep voice and totally just owning the Keanu Reeves persona. That was kind of fun to watch. Yeah,
0: so so I like them as characters. And there were moments in uh, in their time travel adventures having uh, a Jimi Hendrix jamming out with Mozart. It's such a fun little pure moment of just it's 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 unique. I mean, the concept is the same as the first movie, but it's a unique moment in this movie.
1: I, I like how Mozart was like getting kind of a little angry because he thought he was like performing an original piece and seeing and hearing Jimi Hendrix yeah. like almost like basically dual banjoing it with him, and he gets so frustrated. He's like, "How dare you steal my music!"
0: It's, it's 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 a great
1: moment. Actually, I was gonna say the one favorite moment ahead of this is when Kid Cudi comes into the picture, <laughs> and he's a quantum physicist and i'm like where did this come out that was actually my favorite joke in this whole movie
0: probably my favorite joke in the movie and this this was i when i went to when i went to to go see this with katie she laughed probably for about five minutes straight just right after this moment was at the very beginning when you find out that missy had married deacon it's just it's the (laughs) perfect payoff to a joke that they've been building over the past (laughs) two movies
1: dude that's your
0: mom the fact that this character married both of their dads, <laughs> and then who is she? Who's she marrying the next one? Oh, of course, the son, <laughs> yes. the younger brother.
1: I know it's and Bill and are there, and they're like, Yeah, so we're here to kind of like toast your guys' wedding. You know, it's kind of like she was both of our moms, so
0: and it makes my dad his own son. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That was pretty good, and I'm glad they kind of threw that in the very beginning. It did kind of set the mood for the whole movie.
0: The weakest subplot for me was probably—I mean, well, I mean it's not even really a subplot, but with the the whole thing with the wives going time traveling into the future to find different uh find a future where they where they are happy happy with Bill and Ted. I mean, I didn't quite fully understand it. I'm not quite sure exactly why it was there. I get. I, I guess it was there to give Bill and Ted motivation to bring the world together so that they could save their marriage because put their marriage in jeopardy, but it, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of a weaker aspect, but it was worked to a degree.
1: I mean, the only reason I can see like why that was even just like set up was so that at the very end, all, um, you know, of the families, you know, the wives, Bill and Ted and their daughters can be at the same place at the same time. That's, that's the only reason why I could see why this was set up.
0: Yeah. And then the uh, the future subplot where the wife of Rufus is trying to kill Bill and Ted. I mean, it kind of just felt like another subplot thrown in there for the sake of having another subplot. That, that felt like the, the Bogus Journey version of the writers trying to put something in there, you know, with the the, the killer robot. Because you got, in the first movie, you had the killer robots, you had Station, you had all this weird, crazy, wackadoo stuff in Bogus Journey. And this felt like they were trying to put a little bit of that into this film and plot wise it didn't quite work for me right
1: yeah like i said that was like the biggest problem i had with this movie and here's the thing doing something like where you're repeating the same formula or the same jokes for like 30 years is it can work but when you do it like on that kind of level it just loses its steam and it's like i'm not even sure if it was worth putting that in there
0: yeah the uh the guy who plays the robot anthony kerrigan Mm -hmm. have you seen barry
1: i have actually i've watched a couple of episodes and i think he's good in that one
0: he's fantastic in barry i i I think he's good in this for what he's doing um the the robot as on on its own it's he's the source of any cringy moments i had in this movie but i feel like anthony kerrigan kind of saves that subplot uh one of my favorite moments from him just performance wise when he lasers the entire family it has this Oh no! Oh, oh no! Just like the way he delivers that is perfect.
1: Honestly, I think him just like admitting my name is Dennis Caleb McCoy, like just constantly as like this insecure robot who has to put himself out there, and just like
0: I thought that was like eh,
1: it's okay. It's a could have been it could have been a fun year, but he does bring as much as he can to the part.
0: I I, I think I think without him in that role, uh, that character would have annoyed me. As it was, I was I was okay with it. <laughs>
1: So, Joe, you, you were talking about how each of the movies kind of does something different. You know, Excellent Adventures, a time travel movie. Um, the second movie is a supernatural movie. I think the third movie, if, if it's not a mixture of both, there's this existential element to it. I think Bill and Ted are kind of like trying to come to terms with like, you know, what legacy are we leaving behind? Throughout the beginning, they're trying to figure out like we're supposed to write the song that would unite the world. And 30 years later, we're still banging our heads in the garage over it. And... And throughout the movie, when they're kind of like traveling into the future to find the song and steal it from themselves, there's a lot of this, uh, you know, coming to terms with their existence. You know, what kind of life are we leaving behind? You know, we spent our lives thinking we would be great doing wild stallions, and that didn't work out. You know, we were hoping to, you know, marry these princesses and live happy fairy tale lives, and that didn't work out. So there's this existential element. And I almost think the movie's trying to put that in. And I saw those moments when they shone through. And it also plays into the very ending with like what you know the conclusion is. Um, I don't know. Were you seeing the same thing?
0: Yes. And I think part of that also ties into my second concern, which was Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves coming back to these roles. Because they are playing slightly sadder versions of themselves just sadder more tired versions of themselves because they have been trying to make write this song their whole lives and they haven't come up with anything and then now all of a sudden they're put on the spot at the last second i think that works to their advantage i I think keanu reeves especially because he he isn't the same actor he was 30 years ago i think coming into this from kind of a more grounded existential level works in his favor as a more dramatic actor today uh and alex winter I thought he was fantastic coming into this. I mean, he, it's it's like he stepped off the set of the older movies and just kind of aged up the character a little bit and came in. So I agree with you that, that I, I think that, that, that this movie does kind of make it a little bit more existential and makes it more about the characters literally finding themselves in some cases and kind of realizing what their ultimate role in the universe is. And that that was nice. I know. I mean, this this being Bill and Ted is not going to get too too grounded or too no, serious. it's not going to
1: too deep with that. But no, like I think what the conclusion it comes to is I think I called it like oh this is what's going to happen, but they need to go on this journey to do that self realization.
0: I will say the uh, the scene with them meeting up with the older like like the on their deathbed of <laughs> yes. themselves mm-hmm. was a great it was on the one hand it was a very heartfelt real tangible moment and it was also very very funny.
1: Oh yeah, no. I think it was very funny, especially like there are some nice boys.
0: I <laughs> just like I, I I'm I, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. No, you never let me down, me.
1: Uh, yeah, like like that kind of stuff I liked when those moments came in, and even like uh, okay, like early in the movie when they're in the garage and they're trying to write the song again. It's like, dude, I'm thinking about sending my uh Les Paul, man. It's like that realization of when like we have to put our past behind us. You know that was us when we were younger and we have to move forward and him just like saying like i need to sell my les paul i'm like that's i like those little dramatic moments it's kind of like a little like wake-up call for them to say like you know what have we been doing with our lives and it was like it's those moments i was like man okay i was not expecting that punch in the feels but oh wow
0: yeah it's also interesting because that would be one another thing that I w- i would be worried about in a modern day bill and ted movie is that The Bill and Ted movies historically haven't been about kind of serious self-realization. They've been just very silly romps. You know, Bill and Ted are caricatures of characters in the first two movies. And I would be worried, in any other hands, I would be worried about them trying to make the characters too serious, too grounded. Oh no, Bill and Ted are too cardboard cutout cartoons. We need to make them real tangible characters. And I like that this movie has some of that, but it doesn't overwhelm the movie. They, 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 they never become kind of depressing characters. They become a little bit more real, but they're still the, the old cartoon versions of themselves, which I appreciated.
1: Yeah, I think actually one thing that lends itself to this is the director, uh, Dean Pariseau. Pariseau. I think that's how I pronounce it. It's the guy who directed a Galaxy
0: yes. Quest and
1: Red 2. Um, and I don't know, he has this good sensibility of like knowing the genre picture that he is directing and what audience this is for, but bringing that kind of sensibility and that sensitivity and that kind of sentimental value to it. So I think he did a good job with that, knowing that he's never really directed a Bill and Ted, but each movie has had a new director as well. Yeah, shows. but it's
0: but it's had the same writers as all all three have, have had the same writing duo who are the the two guys two guys who created Bill and Ted as characters. It's, it's been interesting. I got so I got the Blu-rays for the first two, and I've been watching some of the commentaries and again the behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. And the writers were talking about how Bill and Ted as characters originated from, I think it was like a college improv class mm-hmm. or an improv open mic night sort of thing where they just kind of made up these characters on the spot and and played them themselves. And then when they were, got, got the chance to write a movie, they wrote a movie starring these characters they had made up, and they've been behind all three movies. So it's really their movies at the heart, and coming, bringing back Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, they've kind of adopted the roles to themselves now, which is what everyone knows them as. So it's been exactly, really interesting. They've been, it's, been, it's been the same two guys behind the entire series.
1: Yeah, and you can feel it in the writing. Like you know, they've tried to carry that through even up until this point where they're at in their age and their story. It's like, yeah. You can feel it's still there. So one thing I'm I'm very appreciative.
0: I, I will say another criticism I have of this one is the the kind of cheap look of some of it.
1: Yeah. I was I'm thinking I know what you're talking about, like all the CGI effects and just how everything feels like it's kind of done in a green screen room.
0: Yeah, so I was a little bit worried about that going in, knowing that everything is very CG heavy and especially in bogus journey, there's a lot of really creative set design and character you know animatronics and character work and right all that kind of stuff this one did have a little bit of that oh they're just walking around a green screen with a giant cgi background exactly like when they go to the future especially Mm
1: -hmm. or even like you know i guess like you know one of the things that kind of happens is like as uh it's getting closer to the point where they have to play the song, and time and reality are splitting, and people are being dropped in different dimensions and such. It's just like people are being dropped in. It's like, oh, you can totally tell that that was an actor on a green screen, just like put somewhere in the background. Like the lighting just has that inconsistent look.
0: Yeah, I, I will say, as far as that that finality is concerned, I did appreciate that when they save all of space and time. There's these kind of sparkly animated effects around them and those did those did look kind of more old school animation type i mean I, I mean i'm sure i'm sure that they were cg but but they kind of fit in with the bill and ted aesthetic from the first two movies which is kind of they're surrounded by all these sparkles and stuff. sparkles man whoa whoa and, i had to um, throw
1: that in there we had to get some kind of guitar rift in there somewhere
0: exactly <laughs> and then the um uh, was it Dennis McCoy?
1: Dennis Caleb McCoy.
0: Dennis Caleb McCoy. I mean, he looked cheap and janky, but I think that's kind of why I liked him is because it is it is an is clearly an actor in a cheap and janky kind of uh, looking effect. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Actually, you no, know, I'll admit, one of the things I did kind of like in the, when they meet Death again, and Death is kind of like this guy who still holds his grudge. I was like, you kicked me out of the band. You know, I had a bass riff that was like yeah but it was like 15 minutes long nobody wants to hear a bass riff that long dude i i don't know bringing him back was kind of like i i was worried that this would be a joke like
0: oh, uh, do we need to bring death back but it worked somehow it worked i was just so happy to see william sadler come back into that role
1: yes and when he's like trying to talk with dennis and was like i can do some dance moves if that helps yes why don't you go practice over there
0: oh no, yeah so 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 i i really enjoyed this movie i mean on the scale of the first three movies, I—I I mean, it's probably my least favorite. But the, I, at this point, it's—that's really, you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's not by a whole lot. You know, it's kind of nitpicking for me at that point. Uh, you know, the first one is a very joyful, lovable time travel movie. The second one is a very creative kind of adventure movie, and this one is just a very sweet very sweet retread revisiting the first the first two movies uh and then it ends and it ends on a really nice note it is very abrupt but it's you know that that song that saves the universe moment i I just kind of got the warm fuzzies. he's like oh it's all coming together now
1: yeah um should we get into the ending and you know kind of what the big reveal is at the end yeah sure uh so as it's kind of revealed like you know they're told in the very beginning like um Bill and Ted, you guys were supposed to write the song that unites the world, because we referred to your last names, Preston and uh, Jor- R- Rogan, right? Preston and Logan. Preston and Logan. What they didn't realize, it was the daughters, Preston and Logan, their daughters, who actually helped write the song. And so there's this overall message of, bill and ted thinking our legacy weighs on the song which really their legacy was them being fathers and bringing two daughters in the world and i don't know i think that's where the whole existential part comes in it's like what do we leave behind when we feel like we haven't done anything with our lives it's it's their kids and i i don't know that was kind of like a nice little like i kind of called that that was going to come up um especially like you know when you have a uh, you know, uh, Bridget, uh, main and samara weaving in these roles is like they're gonna play some part in this and i kind of liked that message because it made them feel like you know what even if we didn't do anything big or meaningful with our lives and wildstones and turn out the band we won hoping it was going to be we brought two daughters to carry on the legacy and i'm like
0: oh okay that's nice yeah yeah it's it's, it's nothing profound but it's it, it was it was sweet it was cute i liked it
1: yeah, so obviously that's a spoiler for Bill and Ted. Is it's their daughters who save the world.
0: Also, listening to again the commentaries for the first two movies, one thing that the writers kept mentioning was how they cast R- Rufus with mm-hmm. George, you know George Carlin played Rufus and he he couldn't come back obviously for this right. one, but uh, they were saying how he's kind of the straight man of the first two movies i mean he's from the culture that was raised on bill and ted but he is a very kind of down-to-earth character you know there's nothing over the top or exaggerated about him and i think if anything this movie needed something like that i guess the princesses are the closest we get to that but they're barely in the movie uh, and and the only reason I noticed it was because Kristen, Kristen Schall Plays Rufus' daughter in this one Yeah, And I kind of noticed that like oh they got An over the top comedian to play This other role so you kind of Lose the straight man element
1: and That honestly, Rufus I,
0: gave to the first I, two movies
1: And honestly I was kind of sad with her Kind of like she was advertised being in this movie And I don't know I didn't find her stuff that funny Like she's kind of just idly Walking around on her phone
0: Kind of not doing anything I'm like She's just kind of there to move the plot forward, kind of. Yeah,
1: but I guess with her, just this is, you know, Kristen's Saul. and I'm like, she could have done something. She could have said something that would have actually been fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. This this movie is. I mean, there there's a lot going into this movie. It's almost kind of a bloated movie. I I think you could probably strip a little bit out of this movie and make it a little bit more streamlined. So, you know, it's 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 she was gonna get lost in the in the, in the the shuffle. I don't know if there's footage you know more footage from her that just didn't make the cut but uh yeah yeah i mean she was she was okay for being she, she was fine for being a a plot motivator uh, mm-hmm. of sorts but um yeah you're right she didn't really have a whole lot to do in the movie yeah honestly all righty so final thoughts i yeah yeah I, I i quite enjoyed this movie it was it was a lot of fun i will say the second time i went to go see it with Katie, I enjoyed it a lot more than the first. The first time it was fun. I I enjoyed it, but I think seeing it with someone or with an audience really helped for me, at least. Uh, just because you know, I, you know, I, I I caught more jokes the se- second time around to the the scene where they go forward in time and they try to trick their future selves by putting buckets on their heads <laughs> so they would remember <laughs> what they did. I I miss that. I missed the motivation behind that joke the first time and it was great so yeah I, I i i love this movie i will get it when it comes out on blu-ray i hope they make a commentary for it so i could kind of you know compare all three movies and see how their 30-year transition was to get here how how the, the writer's thinking worked and so yeah i would recommend bill and ted face the music
1: All right, for me, I guess maybe that's one thing I probably could have done actually is gone to see it with a bunch of other people who were either fans or they were you know they knew the movie themselves as opposed to watching it on Amazon Prime, which I did at home. Um, So sad. I I know it's a very sad (laughs) life. I'm I'm kind of like death, just like reliving his glory days. (laughs) Uh, But overall, um, I kind of think the movie does do some interesting things. I like you know you kind of think, okay, 30 years later, do we need another Bill and Ted movie? And I think yes, because it's saying something about that culture. There's an interesting commentary going on about like, you know, each one is like a fun ride. And this one is kind of more of like, well, when th- that those days are gone, how do you wrap it all up? How do you go back or go forward or just live in the moment to really appreciate it. And I think it says some good stuff. You know, we get the whole cast in there again. I love how, like you mentioned, death is back in there. Um, We have some, you know, some replays of Rufus in there, but overall it's like, you know, it's a nice little cap off to the franchise. Cause I think bogus journey, it ends on a very open ended ending, and there could have been more. And I think this movie does give us that more in just the right amount of dosage. So, I think for me, yeah, if you're a fan of the first two, this is a nice little movie to kind of like cap it all off. And I think, yeah, if you are fans of the first two and love the jokes of the first two, this kind of carries that through. So
0: yeah, a good recommendation. So that'll do it for this episode of the Film Illiterate Podcast. You can find us on filmliterate.com with other podcast episodes like this. As well as some of our videos in the past, go through there. some great stuff. I kind of want to do a video on Bill and Ted, the first two Bill and Ted movies. Now, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel like that's definitely worth like a, a little like marathon, like you know, just do each movie a, like a different style of it.
0: <laughs> uh, you can find me on uh, Letterboxd. You can watch, uh, look at my my movie watching habits and my thoughts on all three Bill and Ted movies on letterboxd.com film underscore illiterate. Nate, where can people find you?
1: Well, you can find me here on Film Illiterates. I do the podcasts and videos with these guys. I also i am on Letterboxd at uh, letterbox slash uh, Ivan Glazeberg. And I'm also on Instagram um, for Nathan underscore Stone underscore Films. Take a look at some of the photos I've taken, some videos I've made. And more stuff is coming, so stay tuned.
0: And, of course, you can also find us on twitter.com slash Film Keep watching movies and keep it easy. Station!